It's Zachary Lichichi. I'm so popular. Tonight we are discussing glamour and Lana Del Rey's ultraviolence with two extremely special guests. Who are you? Hi, I'm Nick. Hi, I'm Chris. And we're Thought Topics. <laughs> we're oh my god. Hi, Nick and Chris with Thought Topics. What are you doing? Ah, oh, fuck. I'm recuperating from having to drive someone to the fucking airport at last minute. And <laughs> now I'm having a delicious La Fin du Monde. Mm-hmm. I, a lovely beer. <laughs> <laughs> I got my one and only J&J dose of the vaccine this morning, mm-hmm. proceeded yes. to go to brunch right after and get a couple drinks, yep. and now I'm having a third drink <laughs> and having a great time. Yeah. yeah. We're really feeling the full effects of the J-age. Right, the J&J. <laughs> the J&J. The J-age. Usually I ask, uh, why do you follow me? But I've already asked both of you that. So, God, mm-hmm. I didn't think about this. Um, what are you wearing? <laughs> why do you still follow me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why haven't you left? <laughs> why Why are you still here? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm wearing I'm wearing a pair of um, jeans that actually Chris gave me when we moved out of our apartment. Uh-huh, and work. since then, I've just been, I've become so thick, so juicy <laughs> that I have split the jean sort of in like the taint area. Uh-huh. And there's a little bit of, like, you know, skin emerging from there, which I'm trying to rock with. I yeah. just, I like the jeans so much. I like, I'm not ready to let go. I just uh, ripped my joggers today. Like, I'm wearing them right now. And my boyfriend was, like, pointing to my crotch. He's like, there's a hole there. And I looked, and, like, you can see my pink underwear. I was like, yeah. oh, God, it's over. Like, these are yeah. my work pants. Like, I'm yeah. done. There's a phase in, like, the early, like, the, the, the initial rip where, like, I will hang with it for, like, three and a half weeks uh-huh. before I yeah. really hang it up for real. Mm-hmm. I'm really I was just planning, I was like, I'm going to wear black underwear next week. Like, it's yeah, fine. Like, right, right, yeah. Know. Who cares? Blends in with the night, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really upset because I have a younger cousin that's like, oh, like, did you know that, like, bell bottoms are back in? Like, baggy jeans. And I was like, I'm never in my fucking life not wearing skinny jeans. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like I'm going to age out of them as soon as I... I feel like once you hit your 30s, being gay with skinny jeans is, like, not really the tea. But up to that point, it's reasonable. Yeah. But, um... I, yeah, I don't know. These particular pants, I'm just, I'm not ready to let go. Yeah. I'm not ready to let go. And, like, also, like, you know, like, how, like, some girls, I'm sorry. Do you know how, like, some girls will have, like, <laughs> like, a little bit of, like, butt cleavage? Like are you, are of, you some girls? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the, the little line. The, the little, little under, two crescent yeah. moons next to each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like I work in, like, a sissy, pussy enough work environment where, like, I can, I can rock with it. <laughs> just a little bit of butt cleavage. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you're the man with the tan with a little bit of butt cleavage. With a little... <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I am wearing a Thought Topics t-shirt with skinny jeans, and I was wearing black boots, and I was looking pretty cunt today for the vaccine. Very Oh my god, yeah, mm-hmm. with that fucking leather jacket earlier, she was giving, like, mass queen on her way to the bathhouse. Uh, I was giving really, I was giving a look today. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. It was a look. <laughs> I'm also wearing my Thought Topics t-shirt in celebration of the day. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, we, we just went to go see um we just went to dinner at the 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 the, the twink revolution house the hype uh-huh. house yeah. and um we saw the thought topic shirt of rivers in the wild which he's cut the sleeves off of and i was yeah. just like oh my god seeing it all mangled and worn was really <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice yeah. experience for me my curly smells like um angel uh which i bought after hearing because i know you bought that too right? i'm wearing it right now Oh my god, yeah, I was doing it last night. I literally uh, was uh, informed by it uh, from Mm. Jack, and then I Mm. got obsessed with it, and uh, I've worn it with this shirt so many times that, like, even though this went through the laundry, it's, like, inseparable from the shirt. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good scent for it. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to say the reason I'm wearing a Thought Topics t-shirt is not just because the boys of Thought Topics are here, but because I truly believe in the Thought Topics podcast art experience (laughs) (laughs) thank you you're welcome um we both kind of came up in the (laughs) in the post twink rev post red scare podcasting era uh Uh, you both earlier than i but it's been really joyful doing our podcast at the same time and kind of experiencing that realm of the universe in the same totally yeah Yeah. It was like I f- I remember I listened to the first episode of yours with um your friend Kyle who mm-hmm. I think we're still mutuals, um but it was like that episode was just like I don't know like I it was I don't know like you listened to one episode of yours and like we knew I knew it was gonna like be a thing for much longer than like a lot of the other little episodes. <laughs> you yeah. Stop it, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like we talked about I think. That was how we maybe initially followed you, is like through yeah. the Twink Rev thing at first. And then we listened to an episode and like covered what you talked about on that show mm-hmm. about like right. whether or not like ironic homophobia was in or out, uh-huh. which is still being talked about today. So yeah. once again, miles ahead of the discourse, as usual. And it was, it was thrilling to me that uh, when I, because I was listening to the podcast before that discourse came up or whatever. And I had downloaded the episode and was ready to listen to it on my bus ride to work, as I always do. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there listening to it, and then I heard my name come up, and I was like, oh, I've made it! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I really respect both of your, like, um, ethos towards podcasting, because I think it is, as I said on my finale episode, among other places, a really glimmering piece of gay art that does a lot of beautiful work about gay culture and standing and pop culture and Slater or like whatever else <laughs> yeah. Have, you know? yeah Slater etc Sl- you know Slater etc <laughs> <cetera. laughs> yeah. and I think you. it's really essential and that both of you do it better than anyone else so I'm really excited to have you both on tonight to talk about Glamour and of course Lana Del Rey. Yeah, Work. when you have you. like when you have like two people that are like literally not scared to talk shit in front of like hundreds of people, like yeah, that's uh-huh. just what happens. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta you gotta put the fear aside, gal. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. a bold quality in people. Like people are afraid to speak. Like nobody will say anything anymore, especially gay people. Like they'll only say things like within like the accepted neolib brand or what have you yeah but mm-hmm. well that was like the whole reason that we even started the show i think is that like i had a moment where i was like there's no fucking way that it's like literally the the one other gay person who happens to be a friend that i live with is like the only person who thinks like this like right i just can't i don't know i couldn't wrap my brain around that because i so. feel like we we both exist outside of that little world of like gay speak but like uh-huh. on, in different areas so like it's, yeah. that's why we just naturally gravitate and we're like okay like, let's go ahead and do this yeah but yeah, I great. think it's, that's also what's gotten us like in trouble on both ends of it, and that like it's the, like the like I think everyone sort of does the anti neolib thing, and then we've also gotten in trouble for being like <laughs> like a conservative sexually. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. I like want to buy a house with like my boyfriend. Right. Yeah. I want a job. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, and it's funny because you know I am quite often on the other side of your. Uh, ideas about sexuality or whatever but at the same time like it doesn't like really matter to me if we like differ in opinions yeah. about it because um that's another quality of the contemporary moment is that you can't talk or be friends with anyone who has even the slightest disagreement in exactly. ideology mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, that's and like there are episodes the of topics I listen to, and I'm like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? But it's like I love hearing it. And yeah. the important thing is not the opinion; it's the charisma. Yeah, my right. fucking my dad was listening to some of our episodes, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't know if I missed it, but you and Nick just started cracking up." And I went back, and I couldn't find the joke. And, <laughs> and I was like, "It's probably just not meant for you, Father." Yeah, I'm just, uh-huh. sorry. Yeah. It's not really your, your demo. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. speaking of gayness and faggotry a topic which uh, is both prevalent on <laughs> each of our shows here <laughs> mm-hmm. i want to talk about glamour a little bit today glamour mm-hmm. being the quality that i think all gay men aspire to is worshipped and desired and tried to experience um, by basically anyone who experiences it so i want to know what you think glamour is sure Whew. how do you define glamour when I think of this, I kind of, I always go back to this thing that I feel like I'm always saying, which is that there, it's, so, it's sort of tangentially related in that I find that the reason why gay men are, have so much animosity toward famous people, women broadly, but also especially other gay people, like there will never be like a universally beloved gay icon or superstar or whatever, especially in our particular moment, because every gay guy thinks that they should be famous and that they could be doing it better. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. like then like a Troy Sivan or like a Sam Smith or whatever, like these people who are like kind of like the elected gays of the moment are just like incapable of channeling that sort of like the glamour thing. Like we'll never be able to like touch the sort of like celebrity. I don't, it's not celebrity so much as like, um, I don't know. Like something like, maybe like mystique in a way that's also sort of like this kind of like gonzo sexuality to it in a way as well. Mm-hmm. Like when, when I think of glamour for some, like even like during high school, college, whenever I think of like glamour, my mind goes towards like my only reference, which is like America's Next Top Model. Like from my, <laughs> Ooh, from the early yeah. years throughout, again, like middle school, high school, college, it's just been a trend where I'm like, that was something that I just connected to when it came to like glamour, being gay, like, and I don't know what it was about. I think I'm still trying to like dissect that. Whereas, like, was it like a bunch of girls competing to be the best, most glamorous model, or was it like the controversy of it all? Like, I don't know. But that's what I associate like hardcore model Tyra Banks and yeah. like girls crying. I hate to be like, like glamorous. It's like being pussy or it's like being cunt. Yes, it's, it's very like it's like there's either this sort of like okay like like Nicki Minaj. <laughs> Right. Glamour. 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 But does anyone want to fuck Nicki Minaj? No. 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 Asexual icon. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I, I think never fucked there's... Drake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not even Wayne. No. <laughs> and there's kind of, the, I think that that's kind of maybe the essential quality is that it's like sexy without being sexual and mm-hmm. being like having this sort of allure that comes from, I don't know. It's hard to imagine what it comes mm. from because glamour is an intensely, like, visual element. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you see someone who's glamorous and you know that they are, but to say why they're glamorous is almost impossible. 
It's like almost like cutthroat, like to get the title of being glamorous. Like think maybe that's why I think of Tara Banks is because she's (laughs) such a, like a cunt, like capital C. And even then, like when I think of Nicki Minaj, like cunt capital C, but like just hard asses that work their way up to that title Mm -hmm. and like have that title of being like someone who is glamorous, like kind of putting in the work and the effort to get to that point. Yeah. And I mean, also you can kind of see someone who's glamorous, like, for me, like, you know, you think of America's Next Top Model. My image of glamour is often, like, Madonna having a cigarette in the 80s. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, like, the aloof beauty that suggests, like, a richness to it. And I mean that both in terms of, like, aesthetic quality and money. But to be able to suggest with your mere visual presence, like, some sort of grandeur or, like, great longing or some yeah. enormous emotionality that is what looks like glamour to me usually the kind of like effortless like icon thing mm-hmm. we're like i mean we're gonna be t- i don't want to jump in the lana so soon but i do feel like <laughs> if you think about kind of like the way that like certain corners of gay tumblr functioned for so often it was like these certain photos of lana del rey pictures of marina and the diamonds pictures of right. like these kinds of um sort of gay quote icons that just looked really doing nothing like posing against a flag or like mm-hmm. sitting down or whatever but it was like oh it's this like it's so much bigger than that and it's like yeah. so important <laughs> and like this effortless sort of um oh my god like going by <laughs> well, what's funny you is know, that like, motorcycles are glamour so whatever yeah, already, yeah exactly. they're glamorous like when i think of glamorous i don't think of the song by fergie glamorous because no. that doesn't cut it no for me. no 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 right where it's like okay like what's missing from there when i think of glamorous i think of like maybe something more like dramatic or like there's some kind of trauma behind the scenes like that's mm-hmm. what i think of where i go to those same names complicated women yeah exactly complicated women she painted a heart on her cheek she's marina and the diamonds she is God glamorous right yeah. so- something's going on in the house yeah <laughs> something is going on <laughs> mm-hmm. i think it all kind of goes back to this um massive longing that gay men have which is their identity with like female idols and like why they are obsessed with them is because um they like kind of watching the performance of suffering. They like watching these women who are feigning pain and these huge theatrical emotions. And gay men feel that all the time. They feel totally. that when someone blocks them on Grinder. They feel that when someone passes <laughs> them by the bathhouse. It's like yeah. <laughs> every like minute gay thing is like this gigantic emotion. But only women are capable of turning that kind of stupid feeling into a moment of glamour, I right. think. Mm-hmm. I think for women, it's genuinely, it's real grandeur. And I think for gay men, it's delusions of grandeur. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and those delusions are Perfect. really exciting because they can get really um, 40 and then like psychosexually scary, like the totally. deeper they lean into it. Because I don't think any gay man can ever be truly glamorous unless they're a drag queen. Right, no, exactly. Right. There's like no who, fucking way. Like, who would be an example of com- who would come close? Like JVN or like <laughs> no? <laughs> who, right. If like maybe like um right. Going back to a top model, maybe like Miss J. Miss oh, J. She's glamorous. She's glamorous. <laughs> she is, okay, you know what? But That's true. Hard, yeah. She is glamorous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she's like a tough bitch who like came from but the she's industry. All, like, is Miss J a man? I don't know. Well, I don't. <laughs> okay, on the TV show, like <laughs> beep, beep. they went by uh, he him pronouns. Sure. Yeah. It was also O four. Right, exactly. Right, so where maybe maybe it's different now, but I um, don't know what the state of Miss J's problems I mean, like, are. Yeah, <laughs> you need to reach out to the Miss J estate. I mean, see yeah. what the official word the title is. is Miss J. Yeah, right. So, so sure. right. Um, but I do think that you're right that you know that is a, a maybe 
potentially a gay man. <laughs> but like, is glamour. RuPaul is RuPaul glamorous? Well, yes, this is as a woman drag queen. And if yeah. you are emulating femininity, and if you're like taking eminence of feminine image and culture into yourself, then you have a shot at projecting glamour. Right, I agree. And I, right. it's sort of something that's like you kind of. I think. Oh wait, something just happened to my audio. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, wait, wait, wait. We're back. We're back. Um, I feel like in a lot of ways, the idea of like glamour when it comes to if a gay man has to handle it, it turns into this like campy sludge that's just kind of like, it, it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really mean anything. And I think also that's kind of why I, I, I wrote about this recently, um, how when a woman's career is so strongly associated with gay men, and, like, if you think about, like, Lady Gaga, like, I don't find Lady Gaga particularly glamorous. And it's because of the fact that she, like, has this little cottage industry where she, like, is, like, trying to be a faggot more than she's trying to be a woman and trying to be, like, embody glamour in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if, if Lady Gaga was ever glamorous, it was during the fame when she was only kind of, like, hinting and, like, nudging at that gay thing. But then right. from Born This Way onward, she dove so fully into it that she lost any of, like, the actual totally beautiful glamour that she had before. And now it's, like, all a lot of um, overstated camp, which I also like. But Yeah, sure. But it's just, it's, like, it's so saccharine and, like, yes, harder to, I mean, it's, it's, it's. Not even so much about relatability as it is about, like, kind of, like, it's difficult to watch in the way that sometimes, like, watching another gay guy be embarrassing and not know that they're being embarrassing is, like, mm-hmm. so brutal to yeah. be It's cringe. Yeah. It's cringe. Yeah, it's cringe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. I'm glamour curious, or like, cringe? who do you think is glamour or cringe? <laughs> <laughs> glamour or cringe. You know what I think of? There was this gay guy that was on the Netflix show The Circle. Yes. And I think of Wait, him. Wait, are you talking about the, the um his, his name was his name was Chris Sapphire. Chris he, Sapphire. He was a gay man, an out gay man who like loved God, mm-hmm. but like always like did up his hair, did his makeup and everything and like And would be like talking to the other girls through the circle. Are you familiar with the premise of the circle? Oh, I've seen the UK circle, but I've never seen the Netflix one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's I'm sure it's almost identical. It's literally the same. Yeah. But it was yeah. this God-fearing homosexual with like insane like bouffant hair. And he <laughs> <laughs> used to be like talking to the circle, being like, Okay, girl, I need to go freshen up my pussy. And then would be like reading from the Bible like a scene later. <laughs> that to me is sort of like I don't know like that's like the kind of the prime example of what cringe but like he would he would carry himself as like this like glamorous proper like gay guy mm-hmm. but again it was, it was it's kind of cringe because it's like no you're still talking about your pussy right because like i man. mean if you're like right. pursuing glamour you know sure. especially mm-hmm. if you're a man and god help you a gay man <laughs> right good luck <laughs> yeah if you're <laughs> good luck <laughs> the failure and the complete like actuality to be able to manifest it into a reality and just like the flailing of it then turns into its own comic performance, which I think defines camp basically. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So wait, who is glamorous to you? Fuck. Um, who is glamorous to me? Who is glamorous? I mean, outside of the, the examples I already said, I, mm. Lana, Lana For some is reason, glamorous like, to like me. Lana Monroe, is glamorous. Like yeah. comes to my head, like Marilyn Monroe. I mean, if we're talking of about course. like current people, Isabel Huppert is glamorous to me. Oh my god, yeah, she's so glamorous. It's insane. I just watched like this Criterion interview with her the other day, where she's like picking through the library and like 
just like she's literally not doing anything and i was like oh my god i'm drooling yeah she turns her head and like like looks at the camera and like nods a little bit and then glamour immediately totally. glamour it's instant like when now she's when even can't glamorous fake it. in the piano teacher like how oh my god it's fucking crazy like when i rethink of it and like i'm trying to like redefine it now but it's like i think when i think of glamour it's like it's someone's job to be beautiful like, oh, the next totally. person in line in my example was, like, Sydney Sweeney from fucking Euphoria on HBO. She the, is the, kind of glamour to Yeah, like, oh my god, her Instagram, like, she's, like, the most, like, picturesque, beautiful girl, and she doesn't even have to say anything. Like, yeah. she's just glamorous. I think sometimes just having a nice rack really will do it for you. <laughs> That's glamour. You got nice tits. <laughs> yeah. You can really take it home. Right. Yeah, absolutely. People I think who are glamorous, Dasha. Glamour. Yes, totally. Immediately mm-hmm. glamour. Her voice mm-hmm. is glamorous, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. usually there's, like, that visual or, like, aesthetic element that, like, you're asking for, but, like, she can do it with just, like, the vocal fry. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, the, the smoker's Dasha, voice. Mm-hmm. The smoker's voice is glamorous. A cigarette is glamorous, you know? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, to have a cigarette, to have to, like, go outside and reflect on your life and, like, leave the party, that's extreme glamour to me. That is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Liz being in Taylor- control of... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Like, being in control of the situation. Being like, I'm going to go do this. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. And no one's going to say no to me. That's exactly. kind of glamorous, yeah. I'm going to leave you and all of your annoying friends at the bar to go have a cigarette outside is extreme high glamour. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know who I think is kind of glamorous? <laughs> oh, I want to hear Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> yes! I always have to Google her because I forget what she looks like. <laughs> well, like, there's that video of her that's on Twitter where, like, they're panning up her body and she, at the, she they reach her face, she goes, Hi. <laughs> I know, it's like, yeah. That's glamour. Yeah, it is well, glamour. Any, any one of the real housewives, they're pretty glamorous, right? I, oh, okay. Some. Some, not all. Not all. What's separate? Some are I think, I think Countess Luann is glamour. Glamour. <laughs> Countess Luann is extreme, like, pulverizing glamour. It's mm, crazy. Yeah. And Ext- every single person on Salt Lake City is cringe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Countess Luann is, like, sitting in the taxi informing people how to refer to her. Glamour. And yeah, then you totally. look at Salt Lake City, and here's people, like, having issues about their father's drug abuse. Oh that's, my God. Not Completely. that's not glamour. That's not glamour. Yeah, no, that's sad. That's kind of the other. That's like when I talk about, like when I said mystique. I think there's sort of like you can't really give anything away because uh-huh. I think like this sort of essential reason why like so many pop stars of our current moment are not glamour is because they can't fucking wait to tell you every little personal detail of their life. And yeah, like, they cannot yeah. wait to tell you every single their, issues. their trauma, their rape, like when they yeah. like had to do bulimia for two months, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, right. like Lizzo, like Megan Train, I'm naming fat girls. Um, <laughs> there's <laughs> me. Yeah. Me, right. Um, there's no, like, I don't know who, I mean, like, even like, if you think about, um, all of like the, the sort of like Billie Eilish's and like Ariana Grande, like neither of them are glamorous because they're so like transparent I don't like that's why I when it came to my definition too where it's like it's someone's job to be beautiful like that's yeah. a glamorous person and it's also their job not to let you in right I don't need no. the HR details I don't right. like no. it's your job to just look pretty a be a glamour icon right the second I get to know everything it's like kind of it's like more of like a like a facade like an image right like I don't need Billie Eilish to be like I'm on SSRIs and like smack her titty on Instagram right. like, like, like this is a wig <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah right right she ruins the fantasy you're a girl yeah. like good exactly. I get it. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. The, the, I think the mystique is something that you are so right about in being an essential element towards glamour. And you can even, like, be a huge public star, have everyone talking about you all the time. Like, n- everybody know so much. But uh, it's, like, about your approach and how you address the public. Because I think of Liz Taylor... You know, who had people talking about her divorces and her breakups and, like, every small, like, minute detail of her life. But she's so glamorous because when she addressed the public and talked, she wasn't talking about, like, these minute traumas and, like, whatever have you. She was really doing it from a different sort of place. It's kind of, like, the grand narrative of your life. And, like, I think a lot of times, like, in a figure like Liz Taylor, like you she didn't open up and give you all of that until she'd already given you something else mm-hmm. and i think in a lot of ways like if you think about like how late night tv used to be where it used to just be like a venue for like the old hollywood vanguard to come in and like spill everything and just was like oh i don't give a fuck anymore like i'm just gonna tell all my little things that like i've been hoarding over the years like in those instances it's still glamour because you've kind of earned it in a way yeah and, like, There's, Mm -hmm. I think, something that's sort of, like, bankrupt about being, like, before I've really even, like, earned my status as a cultural icon or as anything, I'm going to give, like, the reason why I deserve it is because I've already been through so much. And, like, here's all my, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. laying it out when you're, like, what, fucking 17 or whatever, you know, and that's, like, your stake on fame or, like, the reason why people should care about who you are. Mm-hmm. I also don't think you should have to make a case for why people should care about you. That's what yeah. that really is. Yeah, yeah, that, you're so right. Like, if you have to explain why you're famous, like, why you're important, you're not glamorous. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Like, it's there's an certain, immediate like, again, like, Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like, back, like, thinking about, like, the, like, Isabel Hopper, like, I don't really even, I mean, I've, I haven't, I'm not a big movie person. So like, (laughs) I've only basically seen like the piano teacher and then like little interviews with her. And like, prior to watching it, I'd seen a clip of her and I was like, I don't even know what she does. I don't know her deal. I just like, there's something about a person's face, the way they carry themselves, the way that they don't like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't come off as like begging for attention. It doesn't come off as narcissism. It comes off as like, well, yeah, of course you care. Like you should care because obviously, yeah. look at me. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, the and that. Work. That quality is so missing. Like mm-hmm. there is no contemporary pop star who is glamorous in that way because everybody is desperately whoring themselves out for attention. Like Doja Cat is doing like those, you know, internet chat rooms. Yeah, and she's then like, I'm Spider Man. I just farted. Like she's like <laughs> so that. Girl. Yeah, like, she's like I'm so random on her Twitter. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. It's like I don't think that there's anyone right. Like I can't think of. I think Kim Kardashian is glamorous. Actually, like she so might true. be the last one. Honestly. Yeah. Honestly, I mean to be honest, like the the full. If you if you didn't have to engage with them speaking ever, I do <laughs> yeah. think that like the 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 Jenner Kardashian empire broadly, I do think mm-hmm. that a lot of them are still sort of standing for <laughs> yeah. glamour. I don't need, I would for some reason I don't consider that glamour. Like I don't I don't really? consider them glamorous. I don't know what it is, but like I think there's too many. I think Kim Kardashian has been too memified for me to be sure. consider her because like I feel like I associate her with like the stupid like crying pictures or gifs or whatever and like uh-huh. i think she fell into a trap of maybe because of keeping up with the kardashians and because like her relationship is so public and everything where it's like well i don't know i don't know if i see like 
I mean, she's great. I love her. Sure. But I don't know if she would, I would consider her. There's something that's kind of internet-y that I think maybe taints the experience where if you think about people who like, I mean, there's photo shoots of like, I don't fucking know, Kim Petras or whatever, where I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) she looks sick. Like, you know, whatever. Like it's like a great Uh picture of her or whatever. Right. But then like, because she's so, um, there's something that's kind of like talks like a fourteen year old. Talks on the like internet. a fourteen year old. Yeah, right. Exactly. You have this weird like web two point view of like this person that's just kind of like I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. there's kind of a really not a good way to position yourself as someone who's glamorous when you participate in like social media at all. Yeah, because the internet yeah. is inherently anti glamour. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's why, like, I mean, Lana again. I mean, she is sort of the only person, maybe other than Dasha, who I can think of off the top of my head, who, like, manages to, like, tweet and still preserve this, like, glamorous dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think that yeah. is just, in a lot of ways, lost to a lot of other people. And Lana, like, barely uses it. And, like, yeah. when she does, it's in such it's a way impactful that's, like, so in a moment. weird yeah. and, like, Lynchian and, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, there's always something a little bit off about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't really get how to use it. And it's, like, this weird transmission from another planet. Yeah, because, like, yeah. the Dosh Eats Twitter account with the Nobody Stop Me account. That's glamorous because both of them are, like, kind of uh, malfunctioning at the same time. And you don't know, like, which one you're supposed to follow and, like, which yeah. one, like, means what. It's, like... Not knowing how to properly interact with social media in that yeah. way is completely glamorous, yeah. Well, kind, totally. of, kind of just based off of what we were saying, I guess, a name that popped into my head of, like, why this person would or wouldn't be glamorous would be, like, Beyonce, for example. Okay. Someone who, like, doesn't have that heavy internet presence uh-huh. but, and, like, obviously has, like, that high status, that high profile. But why in my head do I maybe not consider Beyonce like I know, glamorous? wait, no, the same sensation is happening to me now because it's like she checks the boxes, but like why am I not right. thinking like, her to be glamorous? Like is it because she... I'm white? <laughs> like, I, 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 I don't know. Like, I was listening to Sorry in the car on the way here, <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> and she, she, I forgot about how in that song she goes, suck on my balls. <laughs> I only listened to the demo one where it's like really slow and it's like a ballad. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah, the the sorry demo is brilliant. But yeah, I think the reason why Beyonce is maybe not glamorous is because she says "suck on my balls" or like she does this in this kind of. (laughs) I mean, hasn't Dasha said worse? I mean, sure, right? Maybe. Oh, sure, but like the contrast between Dasha and Beyonce is so radically different. I don't think anyone's really like positioning Dasha as like a freedom fighter. No. Like the because voice if of Dasha the black people. Because if Dasha says, suck on my balls, it means suck on my balls. But if Beyonce says it, there's like deep political, BLM political implications. Right. It's like, be- it's like Becky with the good hair is like. It's politically you know, charged. She was literally like, call the white girl. And yet, you know, and yet everybody was like sort of spun it into this other thing. And I don't think that if Dasha were to say, I guess she wouldn't say call Becky with the good hair. But if she were to say, suck on my balls, it would be perceived in such a different way. Right, but yet people who have such deep implications behind like what they say and like what they do can still be glamorous. Sure, sure. I think um, this might be jaded and biased and completely wrong, but I think of Madonna, and I think <laughs> yeah, I think that Madame X is still a glamorous album, even though she is like doing lyrics that might have other meaning. But she's doing it like so brazenly and obviously that like I think it like leaves a gap for someone to insert themselves into the of course. glamorous narrative. Well, I also think that if someone wasn't like ingrained in like the cult of Madonna, like 
which most people are at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Like anyone who's like in our age group or older is like, yeah, like it's fucking Madonna. Like That's regardless of say, how cringy yeah. Madonna ever is. Like if Madonna right. never made another good song, like she would still fucking be Madonna. I think, exactly. I think the reason I think the reason why I think Madonna is glamorous is because I was told Madonna was glamorous. So true. Like I think that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And it's not like by a history her. book. No, right, right exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, Other no. people were like, what? You don't... Like, yeah, exactly. frankly, I don't listen to Madonna. <laughs> That's but again, bad, I can respect but... it. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, I, again, Summer. respect it, love it. And again, I've been told that she is glamorous, so I just have to believe it because that's what the masses say. Right. You know? I think Beyonce... Another reason why I think Beyonce maybe is not cutting it. Beyonce <laughs> has this kind of, she's like... She's just cutting she's it short. Not, yeah, she's just... <laughs> she's not know, doing enough. Like, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she... Well, I think, A, she's a little bit guilty of, like, maybe when she lets people in, it almost is like a trap. Like, when you think about, like, what Lemonade is. Yes, it's a big fucking trap. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? is like, it's like, she wants so bad to be like, this is the moment that Beyonce finally drops the curtain and you get to see the real drama of the Beyonce (laughs) world. And, like... Then it was like, did Jay Z even cheat on her? Like, it, it all was like seemed kind of so like, fabricated. It was so like produced, it and then like, the, like, invented, the yeah. egregious yeah. flaunting of wealth that immediately followed. Like, it was like Lemonade, and then she did that album where her and Jay Z literally rent out the fucking Louvre for the, the music Louvre, video, and then like masturbate in front of like fucking I don't know what paintings were in that. Oh, I don't insane. know. Or insane. Even, <laughs> or, or even Homecoming on Netflix. Like, she hired the full oh, crew because she was like, I'm making homecoming. this into a yeah, movie yeah. because <laughs> people are going to watch it a year later. Like, she just is so... The reason why she's yeah. not glamorous is because she calculates everything. Yeah. Like, there's, and it's she, so obvious. If, like, you do any, like, little bit of reading into, like, what Beyonce is doing, if you think about it for more than two seconds, because I remember when Lemonade came out, I was like, oh, this is the album. This is great. Oh, yeah, major. Yeah, I was I like... Fe- oh, I felt at the time. Yeah. I did. And then... <laughs> Give you two months, and then every single little planned check mark on the list makes itself apparent, and all of a sudden you see mm-hmm. that it's all just a big corporate ploy. Totally. Yeah. I think maybe that's ultimately what it is, is that it's, like, her glamour exists because in order for any Beyonce product to come out, it has to pass by a hundred sets of ears, four different boardrooms, and mm-hmm. whatever, where it's like, by the time it actually reaches you, it's just like... Oh yeah, I, gu- I guess she's pretty glamorous and whatever, but like <laughs> I think it's just yeah. been sold and like uh, tweaked and like I don't know, uh, uh, focus grouped in such a way that it's like the reason why people think Beyonce is glamorous is because it's the concerted effort of a team of hundreds to make you think that. Right. Whereas like, sh- that really wasn't really the case for Madonna. 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 For Madon
Ultraviolence is one of my favorite albums of all time, I think. Lana Del Rey is a celebrity who I have been invested in since her debut. And tonight we're going to talk about Ultraviolence a little bit. And I'm curious why both of you are fans of hers. Fuck. Okay. Yours is going to be a winded answer. Yeah. Lana came into my life... <laughs> well, also, was, you have um, I have multiple Lana Del Rey tattoos. So let me walk you through. I have "Heaven Is a Place on Earth" on my arm, right here. I have the Ultraviolence logo on the back of my neck. Like I have it's just thick Ultraviolence across yeah. his back. Yes, it's sweatiest tattoo ever. They had to stop three times to tell me off. No joke. <laughs> um, I heard video games for the first time because it, I think it was the the iTunes free single of the week. In 2014, oh, remember when they used shit. to give away free songs on the, the iTunes singles? store? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was featured, I believe, as one of those. And I don't remember. I don't just it was like there's something in video games that's like crack. Like there's no, there's really nothing else that sounds like it. There's really like no song with similar subject matter in a way. Like there's kind of I don't. It's just it, it's one of those songs that's just fucking instant classic. And then. I think she suckered me with that song, which is genuinely like brilliant, once in a lifetime, fantastic, never been done before, will never be done again kind of song. Mm-hmm. She did that. And then because I was 14, she flipped the script and she decided to say, after that, I'm going to do this like kind of cheaper, more aesthetically driven kind of like nostalgia, um, like the way that Born to Die is is so wrapped up in like iconography and it's sort of more shallow and like image invested than video games ever was and of course me being like oh my god like the the gay i wasn't i wasn't out of the closet yet so this was like so like everyone else knew but not you everyone knew but me yeah Yeah, ever ever but you right and it was like i think the catalyst to finally being like not only am I gay, but here's the kind of, like, tragic bottom I'm going to be for the first couple of years of my gay life. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, in a way, she was sort of, like, the antithesis of so much of what was happening musically at that time. And I grew up yeah, loving... Yeah, like, what was going on then? Like, Megan Trainor. Megan Tra- Oh, yeah. It was the dawn oh. of, like, self-empowerment pop, in a way, where it was, like, Britney Spears and Iggy Azalea, pretty girls. And like, oh, yeah, 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 like yeah. oh my this God. whole era of like where everything was about like this sort of being cheap, all around tacky, the world, pretty girls. all around the world, pretty girls, mm-hmm. and yeah. or that, and and then kind of like not only self empowerment, but also this like weird like feminist sex positivity kind of Beyonce self title, yeah, yeah, totally mm-hmm. kind of moment. Yeah. And Lana stood in such sharp contrast to it because she was like. It was so strongly like, no, I need to be taken care of. And I'm like a woman baby. And like, I need mm-hmm. to have this whole like, <laughs> and it was so like, oh my God, I was gripped immediately. Yeah. And she followed it up with, I mean, I was kind of along for the whole ride of like the press cycle of Born to Die and the SNL performance that made people in my day-to-day life clown on her and whatever. And I had to defend her honor and whatever. And... Yeah. Then she followed it up with ultraviolence, which was like doubling down on those instincts and like going even darker and going even crazier. And uh, she's stuck with me ever since. And no pop star has gripped me in such a way other than Lana, I think, where like she was like the definitive woman in my life. Mm-hmm. The definitive woman. 
<laughs> of Absolutely. your life, of my life. Yeah. I mean, uh, my yes. mo- my mother and Lana Del Rey, <laughs> <laughs> and your future daughter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for Chris, how did you get into her? Well, oddly enough, so just to give a little background, Gossip Girl is my favorite TV show of all time, right? It was airing while I was in like you know sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, whatever. And during one of like the best scenes within Gossip Girl they were able to get the rights to video games and use that within one of these scenes. And it was like, it's like, again, I remember being in like sixth, seventh, maybe eighth grade, like crying at this scene with like video games in the background. And it wasn't until I got to high school when Ride came out when I was like, oh, this oh. cool. Like you introduced me to Lana essentially. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because um, I've known you since the freshman year of high school. Uh-huh. And, Which is d- perverted. Right. <laughs> Where I was like, okay, this girl's cool. Ride, I like immediately fell in love with. And then I found video games and I was like, hold the fuck up. I know exactly where this song is from. And I, it must have been when video games just came out where Gossip Girl got the hold of it because yeah, yeah. the timeline just matched up. So I, I didn't know it, but I was a fan of hers before then. But Ride was like my first like I Love Lana song. Yeah. So, so brilliant. I, yeah. For me, it was video games. And I remember that I was like a sophomore in high school or maybe a junior. I can't quite recall. But when I started liking her... I brought it up to my mom and she immediately said, well, you know, she's a character, you know, she, she's a character. You can still like her music, but you know, like Bruce Springsteen, she's not being herself. She's being a character and you should know that. And it never made any difference to me. I was immediately struck by the glamor and the tragedy and the extremity of emotion that she projects in every single song. And so I had the paradise, like double album, like the album, like born the die plus the EP. Yeah on my iTunes that I stole off the internet that I lived by. Yeah. And when I was, like, a senior in high school, she started releasing singles for Ultraviolence, and it just sold me even more. Like, the black and white West Coast video, and I was in forever. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Hook, line, and sinker, yeah. baby. Yeah. It happened so quickly. And, like, I remember, mm-hmm. like, around the time of, I think, that I think it maybe was just, like, with West Coast where... It didn't. It at, for a while. It didn't seem like if it wasn't certain if she was gonna stick around because after Born yeah. to Die, she started being like, "I am so fucking tired of people talking about me in this way that they were." That she was like, "I'll probably never make another album." She was like, "I'm done after mm. Born to Die. Like it's over." Yeah, and I always think like even if she had quit, then it. I I don't think that people would have let Lana Del Rey go away because no way. she was so needed at that time. And to think of how dark and miserable things would have gotten had she not sort of been brought into the fold. And now, of course, like we have these like kind of shoddier imitations of what Lana was doing at at that time and like kind of more contemporary artists that kind of follow in her footsteps. Mm -hmm. She like the whole reason that she's still controversial and every single time that she puts out an album, it's accompanied with this like big culture storm of like. I don't know, wanting to criticize her for the pitchfork editorial. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Is that like she's always on the next sort of vanguard of like she's pushing against whatever is kind of the narrative that's being peddled by everyone else, mm-hmm. even people who are imitating her sound. So I think we should talk a little bit about like what her sound is and like what her image looks like. And to me, it is. Uh, sort of like postmodern referential sort of thing where she talks about femininity in a way that talks a lot about images of the woman that we have from the past, but she does it in a context that is aggressively modern. And I mean, mm-hmm. if you just like look at video games, it's like the first 
single from her in that context, it's like you immediately get it. She's talking about these enormous emotions of femininity and of being neglected and of having to deal with the power of, you know, men. Mm-hmm. And she does it in a song singing the woes about a man who plays too much Mario Kart, basically. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> right. I mean, like, there's parts of her discography where, like, it obviously takes place at, like, the center of this, like, glorious Hollywood ruin, which is, like, super awesome. And I love her, the visuals and the aesthetic that goes into that. But also, you're right, like, aggressively modern, where, like, even in, like, her newest album, you can hear her, like, jeweling, like, taking yeah, a rip of her jewel. Yeah, and, like, right. she does these little nods to, like, nothing that anyone else would do, like, trying to maintain that seriousness, but also being, like, I'm, I'm still here. Totally. Like, in, the, in the modern even, Like, era. if you think about, like, Norman Rockwell, like... Norman fucking Rockwell to you. Norman fucking <laughs> Rockwell. Goddamn cock sucking Rockwell. Is <laughs> this whole, like, the... That whole album is dedicated to this, like, sort of AM radio music worship. And yet, if you look at the actual lyrics to that album, it's, like, peppered with this language that's so... um Contemporary and kind of, like, vulgar in a way. We're, like, just hearing her, like, over these, like lush beautiful like fucking instrumentation that is so limited to people from way before her time and she's like fuck it bitch cunt whatever you know like all these things like in the middle of it where she i think is so much more in tune with like a very very current moment Mm -hmm. and yet is the only one who's translating that in a way that's not like a song about like dropping your location and <laughs> like whatever. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. I, she's sort of the only one who's mastered the language of like contemporary love in a way that is not doing it in a way that's completely like already outmoded before it's even done. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I I feel like Lana translates these massive emotions to the contemporary moment, whereas most other pop stars, like the first one who comes to mind is Doja Cat for some reason. Like they are putting the modern moment first and then putting that towards bigger emotion. Totally. Whereas mm-hmm. Lana is the inverse. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like, I mean, like if you think about like Doja Cat's cyber sex, like that song is outdated the second it drops. And like, there's <laughs> something sort of timeless about a Lana Del Rey song that even if you listen to like, I don't know, what's the most like, I don't know, what, like, like cutesy teeny song of Lana's that's like, there's really nothing in her discography that's ever going to be outpaced culturally, I think. Yeah, like, the probably the, the most culpable is, like, um, Summertime Sadness. And that's what I was thinking still, as well. Like, it remains. Totally. Yeah, even after, like, the remix that got to the charts. <laughs> yeah, and, like, right. The remix. The fucking yeah. remix. Which is, oh my god. Horrific remix. You know, when I fucking... Yeah, unbearable. When I fucking saw her live, there was these girlies behind me that were like, do you think she's going to do the remix? And, like, I yeah, wanted I to think turn around. Gonna, you're like, I think Lana's going to do an EDM drop in I the have, middle of her I have a feeling that <laughs> after the, the lead set, yeah, yeah. that cigarette hanging from her mouth, she's about to do the EDM remix. <laughs> right, where Lana's just going to start bopping and, like, throwing her hands up. Yeah, fucking reaches. Yeah. But she's going to invite Stevie Nicks onto the stage in the first half and then Calvin Harris in the second. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I think just she just carries herself in a certain way where, like, she can just say out loud, like, someone get me a cigarette, and the whole crowd goes fucking buck crazy, where it's like, I don't know, I think she just did so well with developing her image, and, like, what she, what she does what she does well, yeah. you know? She yeah. has this video of her doing Lollapalooza in Brazil, and none of the people in the crowd can understand her, so she keeps it so minimal when she talks to the crowd. She goes, fuck, and the whole crowd goes, <laughs> And, like, that is so, like gets to the heart of what Lana's really about is that it's this sort of like aloof 
and I mean, I hate to invoke what we're talking about, but glamorous in a way. Yeah. Where it's like just her lighting a cigarette, just her like doing the most like low effort, like lackadaisical <laughs> choreography where it's like her and like two girls like sort of dropping, like, like doing she's a like, little squat. She's like, like people lose their mind. Right. She's like this weepy woman that people just like naturally want to like fight for. Totally. Like that you can like identify with and you're like, no, yeah, like like I like I want to like go for that girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's something people are afraid to relate to. And yes. that's really what it exactly. is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because someone is gonna hear their he hit me and it felt like a kiss and their immediate reaction is that I don't want to feel that way when in fact for most gay men and for straight women, like that's something that they know innately. Totally. Mm-hmm. And right. I, you're so right when relating her to glamour and why I, I paired her with the concept is because she can go into some stage in Lollapalooza in Brazil. She can ask for a cigarette and say fuck, but because of her essence and her aura and the way that she communicates her image, you immediately can recognize her glamour, which is the truth behind the concept. Mm-hmm. Totally. And something that everyone else is missing. Yes. Right, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially at that time, especially when she was first coming up. Like, there was no... Everyone was peddling this sort of, like, I'm just like you, and, like, I have... Mm-hmm. I have struggles with my body too and whatever, you know, like, and this kind of lowest common denominator relatability, or it was like Beyonce in a way, which was like completely alienating and completely like this uh, sort of upper echelon fantasy that also is completely like, it has nothing to do with anyone's real life. Mm-hmm. And right. I think even though Lana's cultural vantage point is uh, obviously like through the lens of fame and everything like that, she taps into something that I think other people are afraid to write songs about because they're feelings that people are embarrassed to have. And yet, I mean, even though culture changes, people don't really change. And mm-hmm. there's sort of recurring feelings that pop up in everyone's psyche that she is the only one willing to sing about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a really good segue into the album I want to talk about specifically today, which is Ultraviolence. Because oh, that album yeah. is, Period. in my opinion, her best. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can accept... Norman fucking Rockwell or maybe something else is her best. But to me, it is always the record that resonates most with my heart. And it's because, like you said, she says those things about like ancient sexual cultures, like these like primordial things that we feel, but like no one is prepared to actually bring to the surface. And to me, Ultraviolence is a record of women in pain, loving men who are hurtful and masculine and the struggle of having to experience that every day and the only thing you can cope with is being a beautiful woman and having a cigarette. Completely. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Completely. Yeah. She, I, when, when Ultraviolence came out, I spent $300 on the box set. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I was 15. <laughs> I, like, didn't have a job. I took out a loan from my parents when she <laughs> announced the box set. I was like, listen, <laughs> if you guys buy me this, I will pay you back in increments. <laughs> For the next two yeah. years that I did, and I don't regret it still. Holy Every shit. single fucking song on this album is, even in, like, the moments of weaker songwriting, like, I don't think, like, in term- the reason why I'm willing to accept Norman fucking Rockwell as her strongest album is that in terms of, like, the bass songwriting, I think Norman's a lot stronger, but mm-hmm. Ultraviolence is the most iconically her, and, like, there's, it's the most, like, when people think about Lana Del Rey, it's, it's woven through ultraviolence in such a way that is like, if you had to listen to one album, it would be that one. 
Mm-hmm. Of course. Because it's yeah. all, like, it's so condensed, and every single moment is, like, this, like, it's it's provocative, but it's also kind of without really meaning to be, and mm-hmm. it's vulnerable to a fault to the point of where it's, like, kind of crazy when she, like, I mean, even times when she sort of tries, like, on Fuck My Way Up to the Top is sort of this, like, yeah. diss track, I guess, if you had to call it that. Mm-hmm. And even in that context, she does this, like, it's, she's so clearly uncomfortable <laughs> in that position of, like, aggressor, and it's just... I don't, it kind of boils down the mission of her career in such a way that is so much more convincing than a lot of her other discography is, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at Chris because I thought he might have something to say, but he just smiled. Well, the, the thing is, so the thing about my, my, my love for Lana is that Ultraviolence, for some reason, like, I skipped over that album. I went directly, f- yeah, like, I was like, you know, the Born to Die era, blah, blah, blah. And then I just, because I, this was during a time where I was so violently into, like, my EDM dubstep phase, where, like, the Lana song that I think of is, like, the Born by the Beach, like, EDM remix, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Or High by the Beach. Um, so, born by the Beach. Born by the Beach. I'm so Born stupid. by the Beach. I'm Born by the Beach. I'm Born by the Beach. I was shaking that ass. <laughs> yeah, that my favorite Lana lyric. Um, so I didn't spend a lot of quality time with Ultraviolence when it came out, but in retrospect, I appreciate it now. I just didn't have those, like, immediate feelings when it first came out because I was so occupied by, like, other genres at the time. But... Again, I don't know what it was because I loved video games. I loved that whole Born to Die era. But for some reason, I think maybe just at the time I couldn't relate to the ultraviolence. But still love every song. Still like, can appreciate it and still listen to those songs today. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, I was a sophomore in college at that point. When I was like really the most into ultraviolence of my entire life. And I was giving blowjobs to this Brazilian guy. Like really hot. <laughs> major. And, you know, major. Yeah. He- major he was a straight dude like had a girlfriend but he liked to get a little blowjob on the side right and i would see him and then like two days later i'd be listening to west coast like watching the video of lana del rey in black and white spinning around the beach and i said this is me (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah completely and the reason is because i think ultraviolence above any other lana album understands what is the most appealing aspect of her music which is that you can listen to it you can drive in a car you can walk down the street you can ride the bus you hear her emoting at such an extreme velocity of glamour and extremity that you feel like your life is being narrated like you feel like her music suddenly becomes your soundtrack like you are the drag totally and her exactly it was like i didn't even it wasn't even that my life was being narrated by her it was that she was narrating a life and I was going to bust my ass to make sure that was my life. Yes. <laughs> All right. Like, it was not until, I mean, okay, so Born to Die came out 2012, mm-hmm. January of 2012, and that was when I was not out of the closet. So I was like, <laughs> I had that kind of year and like the paradise year to sort of like gesticulate on that whole thing. And then when Ultraviolence happened, that was when I was like, A, I'm out. B, I'm going to be a fucking huge whore i'm gonna do like an insane like the most like in a way i blame her and in a way i thank her (laughs) 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 for the way that it's like it it just it it enables um kind of a vision of a life that is glamorous and not ordinary and kind of i think it it's sort of emboldened i think it was it was timed with when i first started watching lena dunham's girls too and it was kind of this whole thing of like 
accumulating bad shit happening to you <laughs> and yeah. about how that meant that you were like a seasoned adult or like you were like oh like I've been through so much and like I've had this whole um like that urge to build up those kind of experiences yeah, so that you right. can feel like my life is validated that, like I'm yeah. doing shit for the story was the Lena Dunham side and then I was doing stuff because I just need to feel it all <laughs> like yeah. that was yeah. so Lana you yeah. know mm-hmm. yeah and the great thing about ultraviolence is that that impulse is so obviously there. And if someone was approaching the same thing of like, I need to put my pussy out for every single man that I possibly can, regardless of age or if they're a sexual predator like Harvey Weinstein. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Totally. Because you're doing it for the experience. And she understands that and feels like this like kind of like longing pang of guilt about it throughout the whole totally. record too. Yeah. And I also think that that has to do a lot of the gay mishandling of who Lana Del Rey is. <laughs> In that, I think, um, it a gay man's hands with what Lana Del Rey does in ultraviolence is um, so much less capable <laughs> and mm-hmm. so much gets lost in translation with the sort of, like, natural depravity of, like, what a normal gay guy's sex life looks like, especially in their younger years, um, mixed with what Lana Del Rey's looks like by just being a woman and having endured whatever she endured. There's this kind of disconnect there that I think... Um, is, again, the separation between glamour and, like, this weird sort of, like, there's a performativity to being, like, well, no, like, you were just, like, a gay whore, like, you just, you know, whatever, like, yeah. that's not really the same as being Lana Del Rey, like, you're just a bottom. Mm-hmm. I, think what, I think what's <laughs> awesome is that, like, there's, like, this maintained beauty throughout the entire process, which is maybe why I associate it with glamorous, mm. is that, like, she can talk about all these things, she can you know, say X, Y, and Z, but for like, she still maintains that same kind of profile of beauty throughout the entire process, which totally. I really, really enjoy and like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes her glamorous. Yeah. What are your favorite songs on Ultraviolence? Cruel World is the best. Oh, that's what you were saying earlier. During We were just <laughs> talking about this. During the break, yeah. <laughs> she yeah. is the master of opening songs. Like, the first Yes, yeah, she song. is. Yes. Yeah, oh. think about, like, Norman fucking Rocco when she opens oh. with that. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, she knows what she's doing and how to open the tone of an album, like, so well. And, like, with um, Chemtrails Over the Country Club with White Dress, where she's doing this faux Americana sort of ironic image about her being a waitress, which has obviously never been true for her. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, she sings in a way where she's, like, for White Dress, she's, like, on the verge of tears Tears in every line. She's going to break. Right, like, she's, like, always about to break, but not yet. Like, oh not, my God. not yet. Oh, oh my God. God. She's fucking I magnificent. Can't. When I heard Norman fucking exactly. Rockwell for the first time, I literally had like a Nicki Minaj itty bitty piggy moment. Where I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't, you gotta prep them for shit like that. You can't get this shit right off the top. You gotta bring that shit back. I had a flight to Philly on an early Friday morning. And right when we were taking off, that's when I started listening to the full album for the mm-hmm. first time. <laughs> so when the plane was going up shit. and I heard the, the beginning notes of, I was like, that's it. Thank God I got this middle seat. Like, yeah. yeah, no, it was great. I got two shoulders to cry on. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what my thought was. But yeah, yeah. Cruel for World. Me, for me, when I, sure. I heard a Cruel World for the first time, it's like these like guitar strings that suddenly break into orchestral like tragedy. Oh. And the complete unapologetic approach to this massive drama the mm-hmm. the massive drama of loving a drug dealer who sometimes loves you and sometimes doesn't love you back and just the weight of that feeling it's so well communicated in the production and then you feel it and then suddenly you are in the world of ultraviolence oh my and god it's such a convincing and earnest like 
opening, there's no way anyone else working in pop music, or honestly, I haven't heard any song in the last, like, five years that is like, capable of committing itself to such ridiculous camp and selling it without one shadow yeah. of a doubt. There's this review of Born to Die that's on this publication called Tiny Mixtapes that um, gave the album, I think, like a zero out of 100 or whatever when it first came out. <laughs> oh God. And the review is a, it's like an indexed catalog of every lyric on the album. And they keep track of like, it's like all the times that Lana says I and at what timestamps and what, which songs it's used at. All of the references of like Marilyn Monroe, Elvis, blah, blah, blah. And, like, it's a full catalog of the whole thing and about how, like, just the, the way that she was panned on that first album for being, like, every line was rhyming, like, crazy with baby. And, like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. this whole um, kind of, like, little black book of obvious references and, like, the most trite things where, like, people used to really clown on her for in National Anthem where she says money is the reason we exist. Everyone knows that it's a fact. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> I love National Anthem, though. Like, I love it. Like, sometimes I love that, like, stupid, obvious, like, shit. And, like, for Cruel World, like, that, for me, was, like, not only is it a song that's, like, a six-minute ballad to open the album, it's, like, not only is it that, but every lyric is, like, doubling down and being, like, I'm gonna rhyme crazy with baby, and I'm gonna keep wearing a red party dress. (laughs) Like, all of these hallmarks of, like, Lana-ism was, like, it was the smartest move she's made in her career to be like, mm-hmm. despite the fact that she was clowned for this whole album that, I mean, it, it, it's, it has, since it came out, I don't, I think it's left the Billboard 200 like maybe twice since 2012. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been on it at least at some, uh, at some ranking for literally since it came out. Yeah. This album that is the formative record for teenage girls and teenage gays. Like, yeah. since 2012. And, for her to have doubled down on it and been like, no, like, actually, like, this is, like, I'm not going to stop and I'm going to keep going against the grain was, like, mm-hmm. really, I think, how she earned her place culturally. Because yeah. if she had buckled under it and tried to pivot to something else or had given up completely, it would have been a huge loss. Yeah. Because even still today, I mean, we have people who maybe are operating on different levels and are offering something different than what traditional pop music is offering or at least is not doing, like, self-empowerment bullshit. But we don't have anyone who's nearing what Lana does, and especially yeah. nothing what was done on Ultraviolence. Yeah, and I think it's really good that you pointed out that people are obsessed with her, like, relationship with trope. Like, everyone gets so mad about the fact that she wants to sing about, like, these red party dresses and her cigarettes and her high heels and, like, sitting by the pool in California. But it's not for nothing. It's not because she's a bad songwriter. It's because she is familiar with the dream of American women and gay people, which is that they see, like, these refracted images of old Hollywood that have been abstracted into this, like, completely Tumblr gif. And she Mm -hmm. sees it, and she kind of makes it scary, especially on this album. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, like, the, um, the wedding imagery in the video for Ultraviolence, there's something that's so, like, sadistic and creepy and, like, sexual about that video mm-hmm. that I think, I mean, obviously, aside from, like, the he hit me and it felt like a kiss line, which is still, like, kind of haunts her career to this day, where people are still, like, she glamorizes abuse. And, uh, I was like, hey, it's not even her line. I was like, <laughs> she, like, it's fully, like, it's, it's cribbed from another song that she didn't write. 
And also, that's such, like, a baseline reading. Like, I hate when people read into, like, Lana's lyrics and, like, are being so explicit with them. Totally. Where it's like, okay, it's just not for you then, girl. Right, like, exactly. Yeah. And, like, the fact, like, it's actually more evocative that she didn't write the lyric herself and that it's from a hit song, mind you. Yeah, right. <laughs> from the, uh, from decades and decades before where she, like, I mean, she's tapping into a feeling that, like, didn't just vanish because, like, the state of womanhood changed, you mm-hmm. know? Right. Like, the reason why these songs are written and the reason why women are willing to sing them is because it's a feeling that regardless of, you know, any sort of moral panics of the moment is relatable to a lot of different people. And I think the reason why she has such a big gay fandom, too, is that there's a sort of kind of brutality, I think, to the gay experience in the same way that there is this kind of like tragic womanhood and obviously the way that they're handled is super super different but so much of why ultra violence i think resonates with this sort of like particular strain of gay people is because of the way that it kind of sends up um traditional expectations of femininity in a way well you could never release ultra violence now no ever. oh my like, god could never yeah. happen absolutely not which is crazy because it, it's because she's the only one carrying this particular torch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was exactly like. like oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. Go ahead. Go ahead, girl. All right, sis. So, so it was almost like like perfect time, perfect place. She knew exactly what to do, and mm-hmm. she did it super well. Where I think that yeah, like it can't be replicated. It can't be done today. I think she really like captain at that time and like she just went in and she knew what she had to do you when know? we had jack on our show he said something to that to the tune of the reason why norman norman fucking rockwell was so well received by contemporary critics was because it almost sounds man-hating because if you think about like the lyrics of the title track on that song where she says like you're just a man it's just what you do goddamn man child you fuck me so good i almost said i love you blah, blah, right blah. yeah there's something that's kind of like it's not like truly like misandrist, but it's like I think um because... It's more aggressive towards men than yeah, anything else she'd done before. Right. Yeah. And it like mm-hmm. felt like an acceptable pivot to them. But really, if you listen to that album, it's really not man hating. It's like, not at all. Still yeah. devoted e- in the yeah, same way. Even that song is not too, honestly. Yeah. Like yeah, I agree completely. And I think that one thing that gets in people's way when they think about Lana and especially ultraviolence is that they have a preoccupation with her being a character. And she has gone back and stated that, like, oh, I was never acting. This is who I am. I think that's a crock of shit. Like, I know that she's putting on a show. And she knows it, too. Like, she's putting on a show. But she's tapping into her, like, innate emotions to create that kind of character. Of course. This exaggerated, enormous, glamorous character. And... Of course, it's controversial when she is, like, realizing these, like, deep-set emotions about, yes, I want a man to be aggressive towards me. And in some ways, I think, like, Norman fucking Rockwell, it's not, like, giving into that, but, like, accepting it and, like, seeing, like, what you can do from that point. Whereas Ultraviolence and her stuff before that were just, like, commiserating and, like, rolling around in the tragedy. (laughs) Well, like, Norman and Chemtrails both are, like, kind of reckonings with her fame in a way where, like, Mm -hmm. she's, like this is like the kind of treatment I wanted for men. And now I'm Lana Del Rey. And now I can't have like, I, she is operating on such a frequency as a, as a person with a career and as a woman who's super famous that like, how many people are going to be able to subordinate you and take care of you in a way when you're already <laughs> a multimillionaire, you know, just throughout the strength of your career. So right, yeah, it's funny, like in terms of the character stuff, like if you think about like 
the kind of campiest songs on Honeymoon, like if you think about 24, which is like a James mm-hmm. Bond theme, or like Salvatore, which is so like just silly and stupid. Like it's about no one's life. Like <laughs> it's not about a real person. Like it couldn't be. Mm-hmm. And that's no. sort of not really the point. It taps into this kind of essence of, um, I don't know, kind of like the the dramatization of your own life in a way. Mm-hmm. She's in a weird spot for me right now because I don't know if I love or hate whenever they're like, hey, can you give us a picture for like this album cover? Or, like, what do you want the <laughs> album art to be? And then it's like a selfie of her in the passenger seat with a seatbelt on. Yeah, it's like, like her smiling. in like, an Old Navy frock, like in her right. car. Like, is this trying to prove like her authenticity or is she just like trolling? <laughs> like, is I it glamorous? She just yeah. Care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think she doesn't care either because her single artwork is always like, what's going on here? It's like <laughs> some picture of her like in her room, like looking at her shoulder. I'm like, okay. Or like some picture she took on her iPhone of like the curbside by her apartment. I'm totally. Like, Great. Yeah. Um, but I think it actually like lends to the greater like mystique of her work is that like any woman who can like take that kind of like hideous fat selfie is capable of feeling like these enormous great feelings yeah, about totally. love and longing. If I had yeah. a nickel for anyone said that to me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's a brick. Yeah. Owls. Owls. You got titties like a bear. <laughs> She's mighty mighty. <laughs> oh, what man. else you got in that bag, fat girl? Yeah. <laughs> you stop hitting that seven eleven pizza. <laughs> the day that Lana and Azealia fought, I remember so clearly because oh I was God. at I was at work and I started seeing it unfold. And I was like, "This is the end of an era. It's like totally, this is yeah. this is a closing chapter, and it hurts me." I was it, it was, was a horrible. miserable day. It was horrible. it was terrible, and it was hum- it was awful to see people pick sides because I was like, "No, you guys don't understand. No matter which side you pick, you're losing." Yeah, like yeah. There's, <laughs> no, like, there's no side picking. You just oh have to let it happen. God. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. mean, we get some good Pick Lana Del Rey or Azealia Banks. How I it's couldn't. Like, I couldn't. No, never. She's a brick. <laughs> House. House. <laughs> I just, something about the way that Azealia Banks pronounces mighty, mighty. She's mighty, mighty. <laughs> oh my God. So ridiculous. Holy shit. Obsessed. Glamour. <laughs> glamour. <laughs> Me going to the 7 Eleven to get a large sleeve. Is that glamour? Is Azealia Banks glamorous? Holy shit. Yes, I think she's surpa- I think, so. I think she surpasses glamour. I think she is on another level. She straddles all lines. <laughs> she can be glamour. When she decides to pay 20 bucks to someone to like do her makeup for her totally. instead of her like ugly gay friend who's like abusing her in that house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when like, she's telling me to eat the guy's tail. Yeah, like, the, yeah. the co-host of Azealia's Two Cents. Yeah, of, of uh, Cheapy's Two Cents. Cheapy's Two yeah. Cents. Yeah. Right. Yeah, she... That guy is like putting like bronzer and like a little like glimmer oh highlight God. on her and like slapping her in the face. Brutal, right. dude. Like when she publicly announces that she sleeps on the floor because it's better for her back. Maybe not glamour. Not glamour. Anna Wintour video? Glamour. glamour. Yeah. To be, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna be contrarian here, and I actually think sleeping on the floor is very high glamour. <laughs> <laughs> like in a it's, full... cam- it's campy to me the way that she delivers it. Sleep- like maybe uh-huh. sleeping on the regular old floor and not telling anyone—that's glamour. <laughs> that's glamour. But yeah. being like, I heard that sleeping on the floor is good for you. That's... I, I'm done with this bed frame shit. That's camp. like if she went on like some kind of show and was like, no, I've been sleeping on the floor for the past seven years, and you know, I've just been doing it. That's right. glamour. She yeah. didn't like give that's... you the live. Up You're time. right, because that's a secret. <laughs> You know, I sleep on the floor, actually. I have, like, because I live in Japan. Did you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my wait. God. Did you? Oh, my God. Wait. Yeah, I do. I live what? in Japan. I'm like, where is that? Wait, Konnichiwa. what? Is that in Asia? 
Uh, and a lot of people here sleep on futon, like on futons. And so I have, I have a futon, and every single day I roll it out of my closet. I put it on the floor and then I sleep on it and then in the morning I roll it up and I put it in my closet. Very major. <laughs> that is so much work. <laughs> um, I it's do about, have to. It's be, about I'm, three I'm literally in the about to pee yeah. like a racehorse. Oh my god, same. Okay, word. <laughs> All right. It was better than Olivia Lux's. Go Fuck home, Olivia Lux. I hate <laughs> Fuck Olivia Lux. <laughs> I will never go on Drag Race. I don't blame you. It sounds horrible. (laughs) Okay, so we're going back in for like literally what's gonna be like five minutes. It's like the literal end of the episode. Um, I don't know how to go back into it. (sighs) (laughs) Okay, we took a break. (laughs) We're back on. We took a break because we had to pee, and now here we are. Lana Del Rey is still here. Hello. Hi. Hi, it's Lana Del Rey. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I guess we can say our final thoughts about Lana Del Rey and ultraviolence. And for me, the last thing I want to say about ultraviolence is that it is a record that distills so much of my feminine experience in a way that no one else is willing to do anymore. And she was hated for it. She was pulverized in pop culture for it. And I, regardless of how the public perceives her or the quality of her albums moving forward. I will always listen to everything she does because she was able to tap into such a true and enduring feeling on ultraviolence that I will always care what she has to say about whatever she wants to talk about. Completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was in the winter of my life and the men that I met were my only (laughs) summer. And sometimes I would fall asleep to visions of myself Dancing, singing, and crying with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I have to say about fucking Lana Del so Ray. <laughs> so fucking true. I feel like even if Lana kind of does... I mean, like, my big complaint about Chemtrails was that she kind of has given way to maybe resting on her laurels a little bit. Or I maybe so too, having, yeah. like... I don't know, like the Jack Antonoff <laughs> impression that I think... Oh, don't get me started about Jack Antonoff. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's maybe kind of like diluted her original purpose, which I think is why a lot of people like, if there's a real critique to be made about Norman Rockwell, it's... I don't know why I keep calling it that. Um, there's <laughs> Just the artist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, if there's a real critique to be made about that album, it's that it's so kind of far from what her original purpose was, which is so much more vivid on her earlier mm-hmm. albums, even if the songwriting itself is not that good because Rick Knowles is fucking talentless. But there's, I think, something at the heart of what Lana's does always where even when jack antonoff is in a room with fucking taylor swift like you're never going to capture anything like what lana comes near and if you're in a room with lord you're never going to yeah, god help you with melodrama yeah good luck Christ honey sake. good luck <laughs> and i think with her for me there's always going to be something that shines through even if it's not an album length statement that is gonna always sort of be like a a hallmark for people who are kind of going against the grain of what everyone else is kind of running with in terms of like the yeah. ideology of the moment and in terms of the um popular mode of femininity for the time 
And that's why I feel like I remember defending her so strongly when she put out that Instagram post about, like, um, defending her right to... I think she literally says, I'm just a glamorous person. Yes, she <laughs> oh does. She says yeah. exactly yeah. that. And ultimately, like, that is really worth defending. And of course, it seems petty in the face of so much, like, strong rhetoric that comes out about, like... Oh well, like we need to have like a, a a racial recalibration for the Grammys or whatever, mm-hmm. or we need to have like uh, stronger sources of representation for you know whatever the fuck. And I think Lana sort of speaks out against what what's actually happening and what is really sort of being taken away from culture. It's not that a diversity of voices is necessarily being taken away because, I mean, if you think about the biggest stars of pop music right now, there's very few white people involved, <laughs> right. or at least in terms of the, the front-facing stars. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the things that are being lost to culture are the sort of diversity of voices and diversity of perspectives that mm-hmm. are acceptable ways to think about the world, acceptable ways to be in relationships, acceptable ways to be a woman. And I think that she sort of stands as kind of like the last monument to a kind of outmoded version of stardom that is dying with every day. And every time they roll out someone new, especially, I mean, like TikTok stars, if that's like the current mode of like the kind of celebrities we're cranking out, the life cycle is like a year and a half, if mm-hmm. that, or like they mm-hmm. get one song and like you get to grasp onto this thing that's like so you get every little detail and you get every little like there's no mystique, there's no sexuality, there's no there's nothing complicated about it really. Mm-hmm. It's just catchy yeah. songs that come and go. And in a lot of ways, I think the reason why Lana is not going to go away and the reason why she's always going to be so important is kind of embodied by ultraviolence in that that take on pop music even if it's not that poppy and that take on being a celebrity even if it's not that conventional is always going to be more important than what anyone else does yes, for the next absolutely. 10 years absolutely absolutely wow. 100% oh, I better put that in writing wow <laughs> are you a writer <laughs> oh my god are you a writer do you write like music reviews if so <laughs> yeah. where can i find them yeah. you know <laughs> no cuz you're exactly right that. Because, like, you look at the Pitchfork review for Chemtrails Over the Country Club, and it spends half the review talking about Lana Del Rey's, like, culmination of white Americana culture. And it's just missing the point. Totally. It's not about her cataloging whiteness or, like, Midwestern Americana. What it is about is her earnestly expressing her emotion and her feeling some huge feeling towards men and culture and the world we live in. And it, it, like goes from between something like Ultraviolence on that album or just something like The Greatest on Norman fucking Rockwell, which are songs about completely different things. One is about being loved by aggressive men and one is about having to survive this cultural moment. The thing that makes her stand out is that she approaches every topic and everything she sings about with an extreme human and emotional element that comes precisely from her. Mm -hmm. Totally. That's what's missing in pop cultural women now. Like, every single performer we have are doing something corporate or something that, like, appeals to a larger agenda. And it goes from as something as, like, meager as, like, Dua Lipa, who makes, like, fun pop music, like, whatever, good for you. Sure. To as something as deep as, like, 
Beyonce doing Lemonade, where she has to make this identity statement. And both of those are so calculated and something that's serving a purpose, whereas Lana is merely writing something that she feels and making a statement about it in a way that resonates with people. Totally. And th- that's why when she sings, he hit me and it felt like a kiss, it isn't offensive or problematic or whatever because (laughs) it's merely about a sensation that most people go through and you know even if it seems like outsider-ish or bizarre it is merely just a common feeling that people are too nervous to put into words into lyrics totally Mm -hmm. and like if you think about the reason why like i mean even the most tepid liberals know this i mean the reason why the pitchfork writer who wrote the chemtrails review had literally nothing to say about the music and so much to say about lana like yeah, that is it that speaks to the level of like, I mean, glamour of what's going on is that the thing that's really there to critique is not even so much the music, because like Lana Del Rey's music is always going to be consistent. It's always going to be what it's always been, which is like the sound changes so barely from era to era. And the yep. music changes it's, it's so weepy barely. It's totally. Sometimes some hip hop production in there, like a little bit of taste. Exactly. Of that, and then that's it. And the thing to critique is the rest of the aesthetic project of who she is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I like wasn't really even that like pissed about. I think I know a lot of people were like so mad about that Pitchfork review. It was like, she doesn't even name a song and whatever. And I was like, but it also does kind of speak to the fact that the thing you're critiquing is her. And the thing you're critiquing is what she sort of represents culturally. It's not the music. Like, the music is beyond critique because it's good. (laughs) There's no, like, there's just no, I mean, especially now at this point, I mean, I think people are so starved for really anything that isn't just like, oh my God, it's like fucking like Fifth Harmony, like CVS Pharmacy fodder, like anything that goes beyond that is like uh, ver- like it's like oh my god they're a, they're a genius <laughs> you know <laughs> and they're going above and beyond <laughs> and it's just it's um i think that's kind of the allure of lana culturally at this point is that she's always going to be it's critiquing like the full vision of what she does and it's not just about the music it's not just about the videos it's about like I'm critiquing this person who is never going to sort of participate in what everyone else wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's what makes her a glamorous icon is that she is not going out of her way to make that comment. She's not doing her Lord album, like her breakup, like, oh my God, like my skinny, like my skinny fat Asian boyfriend broke up with me and now my <laughs> life is over. Like yeah. he loved the beach. <laughs> he loved the beach and that kind of what is she what is, what is the lyric on green light like what kind of drink does he order oh we order different drinks at, at the, the same, same at the same bar i'm like okay great like it's so calculated where i was like lana could sing the exact same topic about a man ordering a different drink at the same bar as her but the way that she's going to approach it is so different and radically earnest and heartfelt that you can't not get it when you hear it like because we are like able to identify the replicas in a heartbeat like that one girl Mm -hmm. that does like driver's license which was making the rounds on like all internet platforms and like was coming up on my shit because someone bought my information driver's license yeah yeah like you can identify the replicas to be like the proto lord which is like which is even worse (laughs) like lord was supposed to be lana olivia rodrigo is supposed to be lord Billie Eilish is somewhere in the mix of all of them. Just, like, so watered down and so, like... It misses what she's about. Yeah, it misses the Mm -hmm. mark. Like, those people can be good, 
but not at all what Lana originally did, and they will just be kind of like those mock yeah. images of what she originally was doing. Again, it's not about the sound. It isn't. Mm-mm. You can replicate the Lana Del Rey look, the lyrics, the right. Video. vocals, whatever, the video style, and it has nothing to do with that. Ultimately, what it has to do with is the fact that like, if you don't book the right bitch who is going to look the right way in the pictures mm-hmm. and is going to grab the girls in the right way then you don't have anything other than a couple catchy songs. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, if you can't find someone who's going to be glamorous and is going to be able to project that image just, like, just merely by saying something and tweeting and standing still in a picture outside of a convenience store and still giving glamour when she's, like, 40 pounds overweight, like, it's not going to be it. Mm-hmm. And it's because Lana Del Rey has something to say. Mm-hmm. And what she has to say makes people angry. Completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other one. 